Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Athletic Development at AUT Millennium, Craig Harrison. Thanks for tuning in to this Pacey Performance Podcast. And today we are back to regular scheduled programming after a couple of masterclass episodes, which there will definitely be more of. I'm back with a bang with fellow podcaster Craig Harrison, who hosts the Athletic Development Show out of AUT Millennium in New Zealand. So really interesting episode. And for anyone that is involved with youth development, youth athletes, etc., this one is definitely for you. So we talk about SNC in schools, we talk about translating research to practice when it comes to working with youth and adolescent athletes, and some really interesting points on creating environments which foster learning in, uh, in children, which is really interesting and I'm sure you will get, uh, get loads from. But just before we do get into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Vald Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So if you haven't heard of Vald Performance, they are the guys behind the Nordboard, the Groin Bar, and the all-new Human Track. So if you haven't heard of either of them three products, visit valdperformance.com uh, or follow them on Twitter at valdperformance. So their all-new Human Track system is a motion capture system which integrates the Xbox Connect and four IMUs worn on both wrists and both ankles. So Human Track has been initially validated against the gold standard in Vicon with some really positive initial results, with some more to come, which will be openly available via the Valve Performance website when they do become available. So if you, like I said, if you are interested in getting to know about any of them three products, visit valdeperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at Valdeperformance. Also sponsoring this episode today is Forstex. So big thanks to Forstex for their continued support of the podcast. And if you are looking for a force plate hardware and software solution, visit forstex.com, but also have a little look at episode 139 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So that's at strengthofscience.com forward slash 139, where co-owner of Forstech, Dr. Daniel Cohen, goes into a lot of detail with regards to all aspects of jump monitoring. Um, it's certainly not a sales pitch for Forstex, but you can get a real understanding of the capability and ease of use of Forstex uh, as re- with regards to the, the software. So if you are interested, Forstex.com is their website and follow them on Twitter at Forstex. So without further ado, over to the episode with Craig Harrison. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this morning slash this evening, I'd like to welcome Craig Harrison to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thanks, Rob. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you very much for giving up your time. So anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a little bit of a background on yourself, uh, education, current role, previous role, and we'll uh, we'll use that and then jump off from there. Sure. I've got a couple of roles currently. Uh, the first of those is with AUT Millennium here on the North Shore of Auckland, uh, where I direct our youth athlete development programs. Uh, so our, our mission, uh, if you want to call it that, is to support young athletes from an athletic and a mental and emotional point of view. Uh, so we're lucky to have such a great facility. It's quite a unique facility in the world where high-performance sport meets community. Uh, so if you're ever in the facility, you often see one of the, the the best New Zealand athletes has to offer, the likes of Valerie Adams or Lisa Carrington walking the halls with the young kids that come and do their community or their school programs. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And, and we run programs out of that facility uh, for athletes that come uh, looking for support and, and, and opportunity and guidance around their athletic and, and mental and emotional development. Uh, we also engage a lot with schools and clubs um, and then regional and national organisations around their youth, uh, their youth pathways and their youth development systems. 
Uh, and then secondly, I have a research fellow role with AUT University, and out of Sprins, I lead the uh, well, Youth Athlete Development Research Group. Uh, so very fortunate to be able to spend a lot of time looking at some research and then translating it straight into the programs that we operate on a daily basis, which I love and is very much, I think, an important part of, of what we do here in New Zealand. Uh, so those are my current roles and, and sort of so come from... So that research group, Craig? Uh, so we've got... Um, so uh, Professor John Cronin is part of that. He leads our strength and conditioning research group, um, but he's got a, he's got an interest in youth athlete development as well. Uh, so he and he's part of that group, uh, and then within that group, we've currently got. Uh, let me remember, see if I can get my numbers right. Uh, six six PhD students uh, and a couple of master's students. Um, so it's it's a relatively new group. We've only really been up and running for a few years. Uh, and so myself and a couple of other PhDs, uh, Michael Rumpf and Cesar Milan, who were s- specialising in youth, came through uh, from 2010, 2013. And sort of since there, we've built on that group to um, to try and look at what we can do in the area. Uh, so it's an exciting, it's exciting niche and, and something that we're really enjoying moving forward. Nice. So a fellow podcaster, what was the... Um what was the aim behind starting the podcast? Was that linked to, is, is, is that linked to your job or is that completely Craig Harrison or is that Craig Harrison, AUT Millennium? <laughs> no, it, it, it's linked, uh, which again is uh, a fortunate part of, of what I get to do. Uh, so as part of our my AUT Millennium piece, uh, so we've got a, a duty to to give back to community uh, from a res- uh, from an educational point of view, uh, and I I got an interest in podcasts. Uh, I don't know three four years ago, uh, probably when you were starting out, Rob, um, and started listening to a number within within the niche and and a lot outside of it as well, and just found it just such an amazing medium to consume information through. Uh, you know, plugging in on the way to work in the car, or you know, on on the on the trips down south to wherever it was that I was going, uh, and just fascinated with how you know this this audio medium could be so accessible, and um, you could get basically whatever you wanted to with a free download, uh, you know, quality information, and reach a really interested audience and I think that's the beauty of podcasts is so at mine is out the athlete development show which I host is long form uh, not as long form as as some podcasts out there but similar to yours I think mate we're anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half and I get to sit with interesting people and pick their brains uh, and it's been a an absolute pleasure to uh, from my point of view and and to be honest at the start it was uh, for selfish reasons, um, to, to sit with these interesting people and to glean as much as I could from them. Um, but what I've learned is that the that opportunity that I've had is um, is fed right back into the work that I do and the coaching team that I, I look after and, and our athletes get, um, you know, to see the end product, um, which at the end of the day is what it's all about. Um, and the opportunity to speak with people across a number of different disciplines. Um, so not only strength and conditioning for young people, which is sort of where I started, but um, across the the psychosocial development and then further afield from that into, so we've had doctors and um, and researchers, a psych. psych- psychiatrist at one point, um, a guy that researches extreme sports, um, working with kids, um, top athletes. So I get to sit with a number of New Zealand's best that have seen multiple Olympic and Commonwealth Games um, and talk to them about what happens during their childhoods and try and understand some of the things that, that they they did and, and the influence of their parents and of the different coaches along the way. And so it's just been an absolute uh, pleasure for me. And I really enjoyed it. And, and the feedback that we get is really cool. So people like to 
to hear some of the stories that come through. Uh, so it's uh, just a cool way of engaging with with people that are really interested in uh, teachers, coaches, um, administrators, really interested in doing the best they can do for the athletes that they work with. So with it being linked to uh, the kind of business side of things, is there anything, any other motives and agendas behind it to kind of push the stuff that you're doing from a business side of things? Or is it purely as an education piece for yourself, the staff, and the kind of wider community? Yeah, so it never, it didn't start out that way. It was literally just, I love listening to them and I want to give it a crack. Uh, And so... We had an opportunity. Uh, it wasn't at the start like like anything new. There was some apprehension around what it was going to take, uh, but it wasn't long to you know before I realised that keeping it long form and keeping it pretty raw meant that I didn't have to spend too much time editing, uh, and we could go out there and just ask some interesting questions and and get some interesting stuff back. Uh, so it just started as a conversation with no other interest than seeing where it may go. Uh, and so now we're, we're coming up two years. Um, so I think we're nowhere near the, the amount of episodes that you've put out, mate, but I think we're 55, 56. Um, we don't have a huge reach, uh, but we've got a really avid following. Uh, those people that do connect and uh, come back. And we're now starting to see some of uh, an, an ROI on that. So in terms of uh, we've got a coaching course that we're pushing out in the not-too-distant future and some of those people that have been listening for the last couple of years are showing some interest. Um, so, I mean, all, all for the purpose of trying to support people out there doing great things with with the young athletes that they work with. So to know, like it, it's – something that may may support us to reach more people um, and, and help to have a real impact um, outside of the four walls that we run our program in, um, which it ultimately is is part of what we'd like to do and part of the, the brief of AUT Millennium is to, is to reach out into community and, and support the people that are uh, part of the groups that we work with. And so... Yeah, I think it's. I think it does have some real value. Um, but what I've learned is you've got to spend some time in the trenches, like like anything, I guess. Uh, you've got to put some stuff out there, um, be consistent with it, and once people start coming back, then then perhaps you you can do something with it other than just um, uh, you know put it out there and, 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 and do it all for nothing, which up until this point, um, it's, that's, that's the way that it's been. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you? How long in the, on the kind of post editing? I know you said you don't, you started out to not, not do much editing, but has that kind of, um, has that developed and you've become uh, more of a kind of audio editor and all that kind of stuff and how long does it design stuff take i'm just just wanting to give people a bit of an idea on without actually me saying it and giving my my opinion yeah. and, and my experience how long does it take to put one together so once we did the first few and admittedly i've got support uh from one of the lads in our comms team uh so he's contributes to to the podcast from the editing point of view uh so uh, I mean, I did the first few, uh, and after figuring out all the technology that we needed, uh, which, to be honest, is, is not too heavy. And, I mean, we run it on Audition, so that, that piece of software is pretty intuitive. And either we do a lot of live stuff, which I love. Um, so, you know, a couple of mics directly into 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 the Mac and into Audition, and, and we've got those live files, the raw files that are there. Uh, and then there's a bit of music that we got. Uh, we've got some bumpers so that, that we throw at the start, an intro and an outro. Uh, and the editing probably takes. So if we're rec- uh, editing in an hour, an hour raw show, it probably takes at least twice that, um, if not three times that, to edit it. So it's probably a morning to edit each show. Uh, and the colleague of mine that now does much of the editing has got it down to a pretty fine art but we do keep it pretty raw so we started to try and 
we started out, we were removing the ums and the ahs and um, trying to keep it pretty clean and, and taking sections of that raw data out just to try and, um, you know, cut down some of the fluff um, that you typically get. But what we learned is that was all kind of part of the experience and people didn't mind as long as you were asking interesting questions, um, which is a process that I've been on and continue to evolve uh, which I, I love. I think, you know, part of the the big part of the the podcast and the enjoyment that I get is is figuring out the right questions to ask without leading them in any particular way. And I think that's easy to do as a host. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. Yeah. So it's so I've learned to uh, to ask better questions and and still got a long way to go. But um, if you if you can do that and you can you can get the the guest interested. Um, and, and the other thing, I think the other piece is, is to try and ask questions that they probably haven't been asked before uh, and, and things that they're really interested into that aren't necessarily the standard answers that they'll give, you know, on a, on a 10 top sort of questions of this particular researcher or, um, you know, this particular athlete or whatever because... The first half hour of the show, I typically find that people will go to their default answers to the questions you ask, um, and so it's trying to find ways into what you know sort of is a little bit deeper than that. Um, and sometimes you can get into rabbit holes that uh, that's where you find the gold. Um, so it's it's about that really for me is, is, is it's, it's as much about the guest and their story as it is what they've got to share from an expertise point of view um, because I think that is what people really like to tune in for um, and particularly the guests that come back is, um, yes, they, they like the takeaways. Um, they like to, to take something out and be able to put into, into practice the next day but they also just like listening to people and, and hearing interesting stories. That's that's been one thing for me that I've tried to keep well try to get better at and that's that balance between people want to know the, the kind of sets and reps, but people want to know about the person as well and the stories that go with that person, their experiences and their background. And it's it's the trade off between the two, depending where people are on the on, on the in the food chain with like a beginning coach being a coach may want to know more about sets and reps, but the more advanced coach may want to know more about the stories and pick little nuggets out of the experiences so i think it's a it's definitely a fine art trying to make get that balance and also hitting the agenda of the of the um the host as well um because i i kind of gravitate towards the person as we've spoke about before but obviously not wanting to kind of neglect the other people so it's definitely a fine balance it's it's something that i really enjoy as well and like you would do after a after you play football or coach or I don't know, whatever you may do, you can reflect on it and go, ah, I missed an opportunity there to ask this or we missed that out or added that in, which was good. And you kind of feed back a uh, little bit critical review on yourself, which I think is quite nice. And it's always that learning to, you know, to try, try to make things better for the next episode. So I think I'm definitely with you that it's definitely an art and it's something that I like to feel like I'm getting better at rather than just rocking up and asking a few questions and then bailing out and sticking it out on iTunes. So, yeah, I think we're definitely on the same page there. Yeah, and that's the beauty of the long form is that you've got time. You've got time to explore the rabbit holes and to ask a question that you may not necessarily think you have time for when you've got, you know, 15, 20 minutes on the clock. Uh, you you, you want to get straight to, as you said, the sets and the reps. Um, because you know that that those takeaways are, are things that people tune in for. Uh, but when you've got an hour or, or an hour and a half, then you can talk about all sorts of things that add that adds, adds the sizzle to the sausage, right? <laughs> um, which is, <laughs> Absolutely. Which I think is the and and the other thing that I love is I've, at the end of the show, I'll, I'll often uh, get thanked by the guest um, simply for helping them to reflect on their journey. I mean, because, I, because I'm interested in the adolescent times, we'll, we'll go right back. So on most of the episodes, I'll ask them about their childhood experiences in sport and 
what that led to and, and what they learned from that and the different influences on the way. And it's a time for the guests to sort of reach back into the archives of their lives um, and reflect on some experiences that they sometimes haven't even done before. Um, so that's that's something that's jumped out at me that I never thought this podcast experience would provide is to is, is that opportunity that I can give some of the guests is just thinking about their stories and, and, and what laid out in order to get them where they are today. Um, so that's cool. I love that part of it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, good. it's something that came up recently in a, in, a, in a podcast that I'd that I did, and the guy had never done a podcast before, never really particularly wanted to do a podcast, but after it, felt how much of a a good experience it was for him to actually think about the things that we were going to chat about and actually verbalise them, knowing that that's going to go out to the to the world and is going to be probably there forever. Which is when when you say it like that, it's it's quite a nerve wracking thing to do. But I think it was it was a real real. Uh, liberating experience for him to to have to and be able to do that and I think if anyone gets the chance to come on a podcast and get someone firing a few questions at them it definitely makes you think and justify what you're doing and why you're doing it and I think it's a it's something that whether it's a small podcast that you know three people listen to or it's a a decent sized podcast where you know 30,000 people listen to it's always a good experience to have that bit of pressure on and and be able to justify what you're doing and why you're doing it so i think it's uh it's it works from both ends from me learning and hopefully the guest learning as well i agree yeah absolutely um just want to move on to another point that we had on the kind of list of discussion points and that is something that's coming up more and more um at the nsca conference this week people talking about it spoke to ben jones here at, at leeds beckett in uh, episode 120, 121, and talking about translating research into practice and lots of editorials, Martin Bashai talking about it. And obviously this is something that is heavily ingrained in what you do, given the two hats that you wear, the research hat and the practice hat. What does, what does that kind of term that's become synonymous with Ben and a few others of translating research into practice, what's that mean for you and how do you keep that in the front of your mind wearing when you wear both hats from nine to five every single day? Yeah, it's a, that bridge, crossing that bridge is always been a big part of um, how I look at the world and, and what I can bring to the industry and specifically the youth industry. Um, and so how I, how I think about it is, the other way really so it's more from practice to research uh, from our point of view and because we have uh, what we call our lab which is was our um, founding program out of AUT Millennium uh, it started in 2004 at the time it was called the LTAD program it was based off Bali's model of long-term athlete development uh, and it's still going today as the athlete development program. So it's been through a number of different iterations and what the focus is and, and you know, how we roll that out and, and what the framework looks like um, and the particular components of that program. Uh, and so it's been a really cool environment to use as that laboratory where we can think about innovating and think about doing new things and really adopting the scientific process. And I mean, as how I describe that is just thinking about um, having a question and then changing the status quo and making sure that you're measuring it in a valid and reliable way and looking and seeing what you end up with and then, um, you know, changing whatever you need to change accordingly if, if in fact, you, ne- you need to change anything. And so we do that on a really um, simple basis. So that might be um, where – and it doesn't necessarily end up in a published article uh, in a journal, and a lot of the times it doesn't. Um, but it does mean that our coaches need to think about what they do with with a, a rigor, uh, scientific rigor, um, and allowing them to reflect on what they're doing and what we're seeing um, with our athletes, um, and 
the the environment that we've set up allows us to do that. Um, and we're quite open about that with with the athletes that come in. They get to try try some stuff that they probably haven't haven't seen before. Um, and so we then take that uh, and some of the big questions that come out of that, we then push back into our research group. Um, and I mean, with any PhD student or masters coming in, ultimately. They, they lead that process. They, they typically, and more and more now, we're trying to get a PhD student or candidate into the environments so they can spend some time getting a feel for what we do and what we're trying to, trying to achieve and come up with an interesting question, not necessarily um, see that question or, or um, come up with that question before they've got a feel for the environment that they're trying to change. Um, and so... That allows them to then go back and um, and ask a, a good question and, and and do it in a more official process through through the university. Um, so our PhDs uh, in the research group at the moment we've got uh, four or five in schools um, where they're part of youth athlete development programs, uh, which is really cool. Um, so they're seeing stuff and they've got questions that are. Uh, that they're confronted with on a daily basis, and and usually that's the frustration in the practice. So why you know why isn't this working, or this this piece is really hard, and kids don't seem to be responding to this. Um, you know, so let's now go and put a more rigorous rigorous process in place um, and see what we can find out. Um, so, but it, there's always a challenge between finding. Um, the the validity and the reliability that you need um, from a from a scientific point of view, and dealing with the the day to day realities of working with kids um, and working in practice in any in any description, I'd imagine. Um, so I mean, we don't we don't face the some of the high performance constraints around competitions and not wanting to break any particular training prescription as much as, um, you know, some of our other sprint students working in our, in some of the high performance squads and teams um, in and around Auckland and, and New Zealand. But we do have, you know, different challenges with, with the kids that we work with, um, be it different teams that they're in, timings, logistics, um, interests, um, you know, so when you're laying down a, a 12-week intervention and looking at any, you know, some sort of strength or power program um, and you've got kids that are um, tired or they're, um, you know, overloaded or they get injured or, you know, all of these sorts of constraints and they're all coming from um, lots of, of different environments a lot of the time, um, then that's that's just the challenging part and sometimes you need to, you need to change or move slightly away what from best practice to answer a specific question with the intention of then translating that back into into the specific environments that you're working in. Um, so that's that's a journey that we and, a, and discussions that we have regularly is okay. Well, we need to understand this, but for us to do that, we need to de- deconstruct practice just a little bit. Um, and then with the intention of building it back up um, so that so that we can work towards uh, the best place for the athletes that we work with. One thing that, well, two things that came out of my, my chat with Ben um, probably, well, well over a year ago now, was two, two reasons why people found it difficult to make that translate, translation from research to practice. The first was being able to ask the right questions and where that where that question originated, uh, whether that be a, a compilation of ideas to, to kind of nail down on nailing on, on on one on one idea, one one question, and the second one was being realistic in timeframes to coaches and hierarchy. Are they two things that you would agree with? Are they are they some things that you would um, you have similar um, similar thoughts over? Over there, or do you are you under different constraints in terms of timeframes and things like that? Yeah, the, the timeframes is, isn't too much of a major. Uh, so being being youth, and I mean specifically, we look at 
early adolescence. So I think that's that's our niche. Um, you know, and, and the guys out of Cardiff met um, John Oliver and Rodri Lloyd, and you know some of the other groups around the world are looking at, at those areas specifically where growth and maturation play a, a really key part of, of what it is that you're doing. So the research that we're doing is I've got a PhD in primary schools, and he's working with. Uh, you know, six, seven, eight-year-olds from a movement skill acquisition point of view. Um, so those challenges that we have are going to be quite different than, you know, a late teen or early 20s age group specific sport uh, environment where there are challenges with uh, the hierarchy and and the competition schedules and, and all of those things that come with it. But most of the research that we're doing, like I said, is is in the younger age groups, late childhood, early adolescence through mid-adolescence. And so the challenges that we have still are uh, they're doing a lot. So the kids that are in in the programs and um, working towards specific outcomes um, are doing a lot. So if anything, it's more about um, adherence to a particular regime uh, and and not crippling any sort of other environment that they may be working in as well. Um, so, so some of those are those are more of the constraints that we have and hierarchies. I mean, we're we're really lucky in New Zealand. Most of the schools and and the clubs and the, and even the sporting bodies that we go to are really open around some of these ideas. So they're more than happy to to open the door and, and invite us in and have us um, looking at some of these questions um, because it, it adds value to what it is that they're doing. Um, it adds some, um, some, some real robust, uh, a robust nature um, so that they can, um, they can think about that in a way that's, um, you know, backed up by the evidence, which, which people tend to like and uh, um, is becoming more and more popular in, in, in the younger age groups, um, so that that's not so much of a problem. We've uh, we can go out and and get into those environments pretty easily. Um, for us, for us at the moment, yeah, the biggest strain is actually on our uh, supervisory capacity. You know, like it's we've got a lot of students, and um, and it, it's an area youth athlete development is is really really picking up in terms of the interest. People are starting to think about it as a career destination as opposed to a stepping stone. Um, which in reality it very much is. Uh, we need specialists working with young people, uh, and and so it's only going to get bigger. Um, and and for us, it's just having the the capacity to do that. And um, and like the questions piece that you mentioned, I think that for us there are so many questions to answer that it's more about where where should we go first. Uh, and thinking a little bit long term to say, well, some of these questions may be more important now um, and not necessarily getting too finite in some of the work that we're doing um, before we've um, got the big boulders in place. Um, so so that's how I think a lot of, a lot about strategy around um, what it is that we, we think is is important moving forward and, and where we should go first. Um, so that, that's where it's at at the moment. So we're just going to take a quick break in this chat with Craig. Hope you're enjoying part one. So some really interesting chat in part two around creating environments that are challenging, challenging enough for children to be interested, but not too challenging to put them off and um, create mass disengagement so some really interesting chat coming up in part two but just before we do get into part two i want to say a big thanks to black box fitness for sponsoring this episode today so black box are a a leader in performance uh, gym equipment based in belfast in northern ireland although based in belfast in northern ireland they do ship and uh, service customers all over the world from australia to dubai uh, to america and I've met the guys there. There's some great guys involved. I know they've done some great work linking up with Play Flooring here in the UK. Um, so if you are interested in a full gym fit out 
or just want some bits and bobs to uh, to supplement the stuff you've already got, make sure you check out Black Box Fitness and they can be found on online at blkboxfitness.com or on Twitter at blkboxfitness. So over to part two with Craig. I hope you enjoy. So when it comes to when it comes to SNC in schools, obviously we've mentioned that a couple of times with the, the PhDs been been in primary schools and whatnot. I had Kelvin Giles on uh, a couple of years ago now, and he went to town on the the kind of PE curriculum and the, the the way guys are going about in the UK and how he was trying to do things. And I think he's he's since moved back to Oz and. Um, from his rants on on Twitter, probably has similar similar frustrations. But where where are things at in New Zealand? And if you've got experience other parts of the world, that'd be fantastic. Um, around SNC in schools, where, where where are we at with that side of things? Is it developing? Obviously, it is because you're doing some great stuff over there. Mm. But um, in in places where you aren't, are we still seeing similar struggles? Yeah, I think I think SNC is a really new term in schools, uh, at least in New Zealand. Uh, and so, traditionally, we've come from a physical education background. Um, so we've got our our PE teachers, and then we have our sports coaches. Uh, and so, those are the the two groups that have been working within schools. Um, and now there's this idea of of strength and conditioning, and we're doing some really nice stuff uh, and a lot of schools now run academy or institute or even specialist classes where the strength and conditioning is a big part of that. Um, so athletic development um, and, then, and an opportunity for kids to, to actually engage in specific athletic development as opposed to, you know, just the 10 minutes in the warm-up. Um, so, you know, a lot of, we've got a four, what is it? Yeah. Four of our students in secondary schools currently are all, uh, the SNC lead for their particular school, uh, and are running programs of all different descriptions. So, and, and a lot of the time that comes down to the resource that the school has to throw at the program and then their philosophy around sport. Which is a really interesting one. I think we're we've still got a, a way to go of what youth sport is for, um, and and where SNC fits into that. Um, so we're working towards those sorts of things, and those are the conversations that I'll usually have. Is is but and more and more now before I'll even consider a a PhD student going into a school is to make sure that. They're going into an environment where they're actually going to be able to provide some value um, and not just be the guy in the gym that some coaches send their their teams to and others don't. Um, I mean, we've got a a couple of guys PhD on PhD out of the US. I um, mean, strength and conditioning is nothing like that, um, where it's just an expected part of the sports program. Um, in some schools, for sure, um, probably half a dozen. Um, it it's instituted now and then people know that that's that's part of it um whereas a lot of the others it's still something that happens <coughs> excuse me in, in in the background um and it's not as valued as as it potentially could um, but that said i mean the other thing we need to work on as well as integrating the essence into the, the overall sporting program and whether that links into physical education or not um, because at this point a lot of the schools here in New Zealand run two different uh, groups so there'll be the physical educators and then there'll be the sports guys um, and there's there is some crossover and some schools not so much um, so aligning that and thinking about whether those two disciplines come under a similar banner um, and often it's it's academic or academia versus sport. Um, so thinking about how those align um, and and what the SNC looks like. Um, so I think there's there's some really cool stuff happening um, in in New Zealand, and it's it's moving pretty quickly. Uh, so exciting in, in that sense, um, and and the stuff that I think we're doing is. Uh, 
is definitely contributing to reducing injury, um, particularly, um, and, and supporting performance um, and, and providing some of those foundations for any athlete that may get to the point where they transition to the next level once they once they leave school. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I mean, we're, we're still pretty new, uh, but some of the programs that, that are being rolled out are, are doing some pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So I know we'd chat before about uh, James Baker, who you'd obviously – um, you obviously spoke to, and I just spoke to him the other day um, from over in Qatar, and he had a, or created himself a very unique situation here in the UK when he was a qualified teacher, but an SNC coach by trade, I guess. How close do you think we are to getting that kind of thing where you're having, and, th- and this this comes into the kind of the careers pathway for a potential SNC coach who. Who, who? The, obviously, the um, roles in elite sport are extremely small, but there's plenty of people coming out with strength and conditioning degrees, sports science degrees. With in re- reality, very few places to go. Is it is it a genuine pathway potentially for SNC coaches to go down the teaching route to be put back into schools as a in a dual role teacher? SNC coach, do you think that's something that could happen in the near future, or do you think James's situation, what he created in Gloucester here in the UK, is a one-off or it's it's a kind of slow burner? I think it's it's definitely a possibility. Uh, is thinking about how someone with movement expertise, in particular, can can align themselves with with physical education and, and the way that they teach um, and making sure that what it is that they're trying to ch- achieve are similar um, because often you'll get some conflict between sporting outcomes or, or uh, working towards what's happening for the athlete as opposed to what's happening for the student. Uh, and so those are the two things that I think need to be th- thought a little bit more deeply about to make sure that's going to work. Um, so it's not just about getting in the gym and, and doing the physical stuff, um, fitter, faster, stronger. From a physical education point of view, it's a very holistic model. Um, at least it is here in, in New Zealand. Um, so we've got a really nice uh, framework that the that the physitas will adopt around what they call hawada and, and looking at physical and spiritual, emotional, um, mental well-being. So that's, I think, if we were to integrate strength and conditioning into schools in a really ideal way, um, from my opinion at least, then what needs to come with that education is two things. Um, A lot of pedagogy, which currently very few uh, strength and conditioners will come out of an undergrad degree with at least. Um, So typically they'll be pretty good at the science. Um, But in terms of the pedagogy, in terms of learning, uh, they'll be they'll they'll come out with big holes. Um, so, and you when you're working with kids, um, it's really important that you understand learning, um, you know, per se. So that's that's a really important piece. And I know James uh, and and how he operated at St Peter's, they they got that right um, because they had some real alignment between the strength and conditioning and the physical education. Um, so that would be the thing. And then also, like, we, we need to be better at understanding young people and the the cognitive, mental, emotional development, social d- development that comes with that. So strength and conditioning, again, is, is, a, is a place where we are helping young people to um, develop athleticism. Um, but if, with, if it's in a school environment, then at least I believe, I think we need to be contributing to the young person as, as a whole rather than just the physical body. Um, so if we're thinking about what the ideal tertiary education degree or even postgrad would look like, then a combination of those three things would give a person a, a real opportunity to go into a school and and be really valuable. And I think that's coming. I know I've got a, a number of physical education friends and uh, those are some pieces that they would lap up if um, if someone was appropriately schooled and educated in, in those areas. Sweet. So let's, let's have a little chat about 
the environments now that kind of guides us on quite nicely to this little bit of a chat and developing their environments for that type of thing to happen not just in schools but in well i suppose in your, in your environment as well um how can how can we as practitioners slash researchers design them environments so we can make all the things that you've just said um a reality yeah that's the million dollar question rob is uh thinking about how you can piece uh, everything together to deliver um on in a number of different ways and it's really environment specific um, and so I think about this in terms of having some guiding principles and then throwing in some of the specific tools and tactics based on the group that, that you have in front of you, you know, you're, you're working with. Uh, and so it could be, you know, some of our coaches will be working with a, a rowing program where there might be 12, 15 guys in the gym. Um, who are there specifically for uh, their athletic development and how it's going to make the boat go faster. Um, and compared to another one of our coaches who's working with 30, 11 and 12-year-olds, um, mainly from a movement acquisition, skill acquisition point of view. Um, and, and that environment is completely different to to the guy working with the rowing athletes. And so, but ultimately I think it's thinking about how the different pieces work for the different um, stages of development. Um, and how we look at that is we have some overarching movement skills um, that we're looking to support our athletes uh, to develop in. Uh, we have components of fitness, obviously, and we, and we understand how speed, aerobic fitness, power, um, all of those things can be developed um, across maturation. Um, there's been a lot of good work, a lot still to be done, but a lot of good work um, that's, that's come out in the, in the recent past around some of those things and, and some, some windows of opportunity um, without abusing the term. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, thinking about how we can spend more time using some neurological interventions with our athletes that haven't have yet to go through the pubertal growth spurt um, because that's the system that's really uh, dominating um, and then being cautious around the accelerated growth phase uh, and um, while they are growing quickly um, and then as they come out and the you know the, the hormones kick in as the secondary sex characteristics come into play uh, then then we can start thinking about sort of strength adaptations muscle fiber um, hypertrophy and, and these things that a little bit a little bit more truer in the in the adult populations um, so it's understanding that there's this physical development there's a natural development um, and and there's some there's some things that you want to sort of push your training towards and then there's also the the cognitive and and the mental and the social emotional development as well and so with your young kids then and I spoke to James about this on on my podcast not that long ago so that's more about thinking about how play and and practice um, can work together um, so letting kids really explore their environments and work towards uh, in expanding their movement skill repertoire um, before we get too specific around what we're trying to coach um, from a, a movement point of view. Um, and so providing really good challenges, appropriate challenges um, for kids to explore uh, and get, in, get, get them doing. And then as a coach, we can regress and progress particular activities based on what we see in front of us. Um, so we're doing more of that with our younger kids um, and then as they progress, then we get a little bit more specific around the work that they're doing and, we, and, and we're making steps towards what you'd see uh, prescription for older athletes, um, more elite athletes, where it's more traditionally in the gym, sets and reps, um, big lifts and, and specific, more specific around uh, the sport that they're engaging in. Um, but with our younger runs, it's, it's, it's general movement skill. Um, 
and and so so that that's there and then the 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 cognitive stage of development um where they're at what they can actually um, articulate back to the coach what they can how far into the past or the present they can work um so understanding that and and how that influence commitment um so thinking about those types of skills um confidence is obviously a big one and and how you build that over the over the journey of the evolve or the evolving story of the young athlete and and where confidence comes from and, and what the young athlete comes to you with um, so you know childhood experiences play a, a massive role in creating confidence so understanding that um, and then thinking about how you can either maintain or, or increase their confidence based on your environment is is a big part of how we need to think about what we're doing. Uh, and then the other one that we spend a lot of time thinking about is emotional control. Um, so working towards a really adaptable uh, and resilient athlete by the time they come out of our programs at 17 years of age um, needs to be worked towards. And so, I mean, for example, we get – Parents that will often come to us with a 14-year-old and, and talk about how she can or, 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 or can't cope with pressure. Um, you know, so she, an example of a netballer playing in a premier level competition, so a 14-year-old playing with 17 and 18-year-olds and, you know, there's, there's some anxiety around shooting under pressure and her game tends to fall apart. Um, so what we need to understand is where a 14-year-old is at um, and the experience that she hasn't had compared to her older ones uh, and what she needs to learn about herself before she can even think about applying any sort of mental skills. So those are the, those are the things that we really need to start incorporating into the environments that we work in because uh, it's not, uh, at least as far as we're concerned, it's not just about what it says on the program and getting through the sets and the reps. Um, it's it's much bigger than that. Um, and as you know, a lot of people have probably heard before. If we steal from the All Blacks, it's um, it is about developing great people. Um, as as cliche as it sounds, then that that is what it's about. Um, people first, and if they happen to to get to the point where they end up playing for New Zealand, then that's awesome. Um, and um, But we have so many stories where, you know, kids kids don't reach, reach the top, but they do, um, you know, they feel better about who they are and they have more confidence and they start going and trying new things and their, um, you know, their academic grades go up because they've learnt about commitment and they've learned about setting a goal and um, you know they stop getting the niggles and so they can enjoy their experiences better so th- there's a the criteria for success around what we do is is widespread um, it's not just about you know performance on Saturday mm-hmm. so w- one thing I want to ask you just one of the last few things I want to uh, want to mention is the engagement side of things. The reason I say that comes from, definitely comes from personal experience because before, just after leaving football and in between doing a, my uh, sports science degree, I spent a lot of time in primary schools covering uh, planning preparation and assessment time for primary school teachers with game-based PE and it was very game-based. And one thing that I struggled with at the time was keeping that engagement with the, especially the younger ones because it was heavily a heavily game-based curriculum keeping that engagement high with the ones that probably the 90 percent that would struggle with that kind of understanding of the game and and we didn't have enough time to be able to to teach teach these kids and they were very young and so how do you go about ensuring that engagement stays high especially in the younger age groups giving them enough challenge to be challenged but not enough to demotivate them and be the be the ninety percent that I usually deal with to try to actually get them to do something. How do you yeah. go about that? Yeah. So this is really the big question that one of my PhD students is starting to think about now. Uh, he's, he's in a he's in a primary school environment, and he's he's got kids aged five through nine, ten uh, in front of him every day, and and ultimately we're thinking about 
movement and and the acquisition of better movement skill. Um, so how we think about that, the best way I can probably describe that is is the analogy of the skate park. Um, and this is something I've written about before and I'm a, I'm a really ab- big advocate of, is if you, if you go down to the local skate park, then it's one of the best environments for learning that you could come across. Uh, and there's some things that are quite different to what you get in, in traditional sports. So for one, there's no coach. Um, so these these young people are engaging in this particular athlete, uh, this particular activity, um, all on their own. You know, so they'll they'll grab their skateboards with their mates and they'll shoot down. And they'll spend hours, hours and hours of time just tinkering and dabbling and doodling around getting better on their boards. Um, and so they have this they have this uh, what I call a plus minus and equals approach to learning. So they have uh, the plus, which is the the older athletes, the older kids that are better than them, so they've got a they've got something to aspire to, and I think we always need to give young people an understanding of where they can go with something. Um, so they have that, and then they have their equals, which is their mates. You know, where similar abilities, trying out new things, and then they have their minors as well, as well, which are kids that are there and typically amateurs and, and younger and. Um, there's this really nice culture in a lot of skate parks where the older kids help the younger kids. And I think that that's something, if you can embrace, is really beneficial in, in any environment. But in a, in a physical activity, movement environment, it can, it can be really nice. Um, it's a great life skill, obviously, to, to help young people with as well. So you get that that approach and then you get appropriate challenge. Um, so there's always an opportunity for people to choose something slightly outside of their current ability level. Um, and we always refer to Chicksammy High's uh, theory of flow. Um, he talks a little bit more acutely about how that works. Um, I'm sure everyone listening has experienced flow before. Um, but so we look at flow from a uh, point of view of where our where a individual may be at, <coughs> excuse me, and think about how that challenge, where that challenge is at. Um, and, you know, a challenge too great for their skill is going to bring anxiety, whereas uh, a challenge too easy for their current skill is going to bring boredom. So if something's not right, we can see a kid over in the corner who's mucking around and, and not really engaging, then for two reasons, it, you know, it'll either, well, it'll either be too hard um, and hasn't had time to sit with that for long enough or to, to engage and, and try without, uh, the pressure of, of getting it wrong, um, or it's just too easy. Um, you know, human beings tend to walk away from things that are too easy. We, we, we do like to be challenged. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that challenge in school also needs to be supported. Um, so we think about where the support comes from the coach or the teacher or the parent and what that looks like and, and what the background looks like. Um, so then you, so you've got this appropriate challenge at the skate park, and then you get this immediate feedback as well, which is really, really beneficial. Um, you know, so if you get something wrong, then you know about it. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully that's not a broken arm or a smashed in face, but, but oftentimes it is something that provides you the feedback um, immediately that, uh, you know, ends up in, in a change of behavior or a change in, in a way that something is done. Um, so we sort of take that idea and are starting to construct environments in the same sort of way for these groups at primary school level. Um, and it's using a whole bunch of different objects and equipments um, where kids can go out and choose the challenge. Um, and there may be a whole bunch of different ways that they can approach that challenge or they've, they, there's never one way of, of of being successful in it either. Um, and then the coach or the PhD student spends a lot of time sort of just asking the right question for the specific individual. So we need to get away from instructing and, and, and setting environments up just to get people through the drill or through the activity. We need to get them to a point where they they are engaging themselves and then as a coach or as a teacher, um, it's our job to just fuel the fire um, by 
by asking the right questions and providing the right regression or the right progression based on what we see. And, and this is what you know James and I spoke to on the podcast uh, that's just come out or coming out very soon. Um, so then uh, that's that's where we're working towards, and we're starting to see some nice little um, successes uh, in in the in the the work that we're doing. So, uh, but it's reliant on on a reasonably high level of understanding and skill from the adult that is leading that environment. And I think that's that's the challenging part. You know, we, we want to get to a point where we can support teachers and um, any coaches that are working in essentially in, in the grassroots of, of physical activity and movement and, and sport and give them the tools to be able to do these things without um, having to spend too long upskilling themselves um, because that, that's definitely a barrier. Um, but I think it's, it, it's more about taking away than adding, um, thinking about, you know, the local playground and how kids, when they're on that, they, they learn so much um, and they move towards things that are of appropriate challenge. And as parents and as coaches, we need to step back um, and spend more time observing um, and less time intervening uh, and letting them figure it out for themselves. Um, but, you know, all of that said, mate, I mean, there's, there's always the challenge of getting them there in the first place. Um, and if they come to you with very limited experience or very limited opportunity in their formative times, so if you get an eight-year-old who has had very limited opportunity to move is very hard um so there's some education that needs to to be spread across the board and you know parents have got a role to play um schools from early ages have got a role to play uh, to make sure that these things are affecting the change that we're looking for sweet sorry mate i, I didn't realize you were uh, i got coughed in a little bit so I'd like to I'd like to keep things under an hour if possible. So I know you've mentioned the podcast quite a few times, which is fantastic. Where can where can people get more information on the podcast and more importantly, listen to it? iTunes. It's the place to go. Uh, so the podcast is the Athlete Development Show, uh, and you know if you just you know type in the Athlete Development Show in iTunes, then it will pop up, and you can just subscribe to it uh, on. You know, if you if you're already listening to podcasts, or if you you're not just yet, oh, I'm sure you you know you're listening to this one. So, um, yeah, just subscribe, and um, there's a whole bunch of episodes that you can check out um, of of quite varied interest as well. So, I think that's that's part of how we do it. Is is hopefully there will be something for everyone. Um, it's not necessarily just for the S and C coach, although there is some content, quite a bit of content around. Uh, you know, for someone who's working in that area. Uh, but, you know, any coach, any teacher, uh, even parents that are interested in the area of uh, youth athlete development and and even just kids and movement um, and physical well-being, there's a lot of stuff there that, that they may be interested in too. So that's the place to go. And then, you know, I'm I'm on Twitter, reasonably active on Twitter and Instagram, just at Dr. Craig Harrison. Um, so you can check me out as well. And uh, you often get links through to the podcast on on social as well. Sounds fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So when's, when's James's podcast out? Uh, it must be coming out this week. I think it is. Um, I've just been editing, edit, editing it. So it'll probably be, it'll, it'll be Friday this week, I'd imagine. Um, so it's ready to drop. Perfect. We'll give it. Make sure I'll give it some love when it comes out, and have a listen because I'm sure that'll be great. But um, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to hearing from you and seeing you at the uh, the UKSA in a couple of weeks. Yeah, can't wait, mate. I'm on a plane in a few days, so heading over to see some sun, hopefully, uh, and catch up with some people that I'm really looking forward to to spending some time with that are doing amazing things with with young people in the different areas of sport and strength and conditioning. So that's going to be an absolute pleasure. And, mate, just massive thank you for 
doing what you do um, and and getting the podcast out there and adding some real value to the industry. I think it's uh, it's awesome. So, kia ora. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you very much. Well, I'll let you go. I hope you have a fantastic evening and I'll, uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, mate. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Craig. Massive thanks to Craig for giving up his time in between doing his own podcast, being a research fellow, uh, director of athletic development at AUT, etc., etc. So really appreciate him coming on and uh, giving us his insights. Big thanks to Val Performance, Forstex, and Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So the Big 200 coming up. Um, maybe a little surprise in there maybe not, who knows Um, but thanks for tuning in to this episode and I will speak to you in episode 198